Good morning, Grace Hill. How is everyone? It's good to see everyone this morning. Uh, my name is Alan. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new here to Grace Hill, and if so, I'd love to be able to meet you after the service. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament. And so if you have a Bible, you can make your way there. We're going to be in chapter 11. Uh, it's fine if you want to use your phone app, or we'll also have the verses uh, on the screen behind me as well. In just a few moments, we will read out of Matthew chapter 11. Uh, last week during our Easter service, uh, I talked about the fact that every human being desires a world where everything is right. Everything is whole. Everyone has joy and fulfillment. It's the world that we all want, but it's not the world we experience. We experience a broken world. And there's something inside of us that knows in our gut, in our heart, that it's not right. It's not what it should be. There should be something better. We are made for something better. Uh, God's word tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11, it says this, it says, God has put eternity in our hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. And, and so this is what this passage is saying. God has placed in us this desire, this expectation of a better world. Of, of eternity, of some kingdom that is not what we're currently experiencing. But at the same time, he's saying that no one knows the beginning or the end of that story. That we don't understand where we came from and, and where we are headed. It's, it's like we're stuck in the middle of this story without knowing all of the details and that just generates inside of us all sorts of questions. Who am I? Why are we here? Right? Million dollar question. What is my purpose? Where do I find meaning? What do I do when life gets hard and turbulent and scary? Am I really just a complex clump of cells and a bunch of biological processes and one day they'll stop and that's it? Is that really the significance of my life? Is this all there is? All those questions come up. And so being stuck in the middle of this story without knowing the beginning or the end, combined with this desire that God has placed in every human being for eternity, for a better world, you know what that does in us? That produces anxiety. Because it, it creates this compulsion inside of us to anxiously work to script the end of this story, to achieve a more perfect life, to do what we feel like we need to do to get to this perfect world. And so we obsess over tips and hacks and secrets to success, to try and discover the perfect life, the perfect body, the perfect home, the perfect vacation or experience. We fret over news and injustice and conspiracies that our phones alert us of. We rally around causes 
and rage against those who don't support our cause. We get offended when anyone doesn't affirm our beliefs, our values, our truth. We have this need, this itch to try and get to the world we want. We fear we might miss it. We see images of people that seem to have found it on our phones. We get angry when people or systems get in the way. And because we have no idea how to get there, we are so easily drawn to the latest trend, the latest idea or cause, and that's until it fails us. And it doesn't work. And we still don't know the story. We're still anxiously looking for all the answers. Uh, several years ago, uh, my wife and I were in Orlando. We had several things we were doing down there and we were getting on the plane to come back here to DC. And we got on the plane and the plane took off and over Orlando at that time was the remnants of a tropical storm. It wasn't a tropical storm anymore, but it used to be. And so it was a pretty crazy plane ride. Now I've flown a lot in my life. Turbulence does not bother me, but this I have never experienced turbulence like this in my life, right? That storm tossed our plane around pretty good. It felt as if we should not have flown through it. Now I'm sitting on the window seat and my wife is next to me in the middle seat and I'm looking out the window and I turn and look at her and I see this face of dread on her, right? She is scared. Now, so I felt the need to do two things. I felt the need to comfort her. I also felt the need to pridefully let her know that I was not scared. Uh, <laughs> So I kind of gave her this smirk, you know, kind of this like, hey, everything's fine. I'm not bothered by it. It's okay, all right? I'm not scared. And then I turned and looked out the window and I'm pretty sure my eyes were wide and I was gripping the armrest as tightly as I could because I was scared on this plane. But when you're on a plane and you're facing turbulence like that and you're experiencing that, who do you normally look to for reassurance? You look to the flight attendants, right? I mean, the flight attendants, they fly multiple times a day. They know what normal turbulence is. They know what to expect. So you look to the flight attendants and if they are acting as if nothing is happening, well, then that's some reassurance, some comfort for you. Okay, this is normal. If the flight attendants look nervous, well, that might be a sign that you should start getting nervous as well because the flight attendants exist as a non-anxious presence on the plane and that provides comfort and reassurance to the passengers of the plane. And I believe that God has called his church and his followers to exist as a non-anxious presence in an anxious world. To be people who have settled hearts and settled souls when it comes to the biggest questions in life. See, it's the church, those who submit to Jesus as their king that have the answers to these questions. They know the beginning and the end of the story. They know that, that the world we all want, God's kingdom, is only given to us. We're only led to it. We can only get there through Jesus Christ. And because of that, because we have these answers, we know the story. We know that this desire for eternity is God's kingdom. And Jesus is the one who gets us there because we know that. 
we can rest in this turbulent and broken world. Is that the role the church plays in this world? Are we a non-anxious presence in an anxious world? And this is why this morning we are going to start a really long sermon series, probably take us through the rest of the year up until Advent. And, and through this series, we are going to study the story of God's kingdom and the reign of Jesus as our king. Uh, we're gonna begin in Genesis. We're gonna work our way through major themes in the Bible all the way through Revelation because the Bible is a complete story, fit together. This is a narrative. It is God's story. It is our story. It is the story that all of humanity is, is longing to know. It answers the questions that all of humanity has. And so in this series, what we're gonna do is we're gonna divide it into four chapters. Each chapter will have several sermons attached to it. Chapter one is called The King Rejected. We're gonna study the Old Testament and the beginning of the world that God created and how we fell into brokenness when we rejected God as our king. We said, God, we don't want you to be king. We wanna be king. And then in chapter two, it's called The King Redeems. We're gonna study the gospels because Jesus arrives on the scene and he teaches us the ways of God's kingdom and then redeems us from our sin so we can be invited into God's kingdom. And chapter three is gonna be called The King Reigns where we're gonna study Acts and the epistles and discover what it means to follow Jesus today as our king and what our mission is as the church as we wait for Jesus to return and bring his kingdom. And finally, in chapter four, called The King Returns, we'll study the end of the story, our blessed hope, when our king returns and makes everything new and brings his kingdom in its fullness. I mean, here's the goal of the series. It's to help us to understand what it really means to follow Jesus, what it really means to trust him and participate in his kingdom, what it means to know the story and therefore have settled hearts and souls to be a non-anxious presence in this world. This is what Jesus invites us into and so to begin our series, to intro this series, what I want us to do is just study Jesus's invitation to his kingdom, the invitation that he extends to us. And we're gonna find that in the book of Matthew in chapter 11. And so we're gonna go there and read that together, but let me just give you a, a little bit of information about Matthew. Matthew is a gospel. It's an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. And one thing you need to know about Matthew is that Matthew primarily had an audience in his original uh, gospel. He primarily had an audience of, of Jews. He was writing to them. And the Jews believed that one day God was gonna send them a Messiah who was gonna bring this kingdom and rescue them from this broken world. And they believed that because that's what the Bible tells us. And we'll study that in the Old Testament. And so one of Matthew's goals in writing this gospel was to show that Jesus is that Messiah. He's the one. But as we're gonna see in our passage this morning, many of the Jews did not accept the fact that Jesus was the one who would bring God's kingdom. They rejected his invitation. 
And we need to know why they rejected it. Because if we wanna be a people who follow Jesus, participate in his kingdom, and be a non-anxious presence in this world, we need to understand what Jesus is inviting us into, what that means for our lives, and why we might be tempted to reject it. And so let's read this in Matthew chapter 11. I'm gonna read uh, starting in verse 20. So just to set the scene for you here in chapter 11, chapter 11 is in the middle of Jesus' ministry and he had been touring the towns up in the northern part of Israel in Galilee and he's been teaching about the kingdom of God and he's been performing miracles to show that the kingdom of God is near. And so then we get this here in verse 20, Matthew 11, starting in verse 20. It says, then Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, Will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. All right, so real quick, let me help you with this one. So you have Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. These were all towns in the northern part of Israel near the sea of Galilee and most of Jesus's teaching and miracles were done in these towns. Then Jesus mentions uh, Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom. Uh, these were all Gentile towns that were mentioned in the Old Testament as towns that were wicked and immoral and were gonna be subject to God's judgment. And we also know that Sodom was judged by God um, because God destroyed it. And so Jesus is saying, if these wicked towns mentioned in the Old Testament would have had the Son of God preaching in them and performing miracles like you have had, they would have repented. They would have turned to the Lord. But these towns in Galilee are rejecting Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, when we look at your access to the truth and your rejection of the truth, you are more wicked than Sodom was. Remember the intent of Matthew's gospel here. He's, he's trying to show that Jesus is the one bringing the kingdom of God, despite the fact that all of these Jewish towns were rejecting Jesus. Okay, so that's where we are. Now continue in our passage. Look at verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and, every, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So what we see here is that those who are wise and understanding are gonna have a difficult time accepting Jesus as the king and those who are like little children may not. 
This is an analogy Jesus is using. God has intentionally made his kingdom more accessible to those like little children than to those who are wise and understanding. So let's unpack this for a second. What what does that mean? Uh, When one is extended an invitation to something, what is the primary difference between someone who is wise and someone who is like a little child? Let me give you an example. If uh, we were gonna, you know, go uh, take a trip, we were talking about planes earlier. If you or I were gonna go take a trip together, let's say we went over to Dulles Airport and we found this little small prop plane, and I jumped on and jumped in the cockpit and said, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fly us to where we're going." Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm not a pilot. I don't fly planes. And so here's what you're gonna do: you're gonna use your wisdom and your understanding, and you're gonna say. Alan does not know how to fly an airplane. It would be dangerous for me to get in an airplane with him in the cockpit. Therefore, I am not gonna accept your invitation. I reject that invitation, right? Now, let's say I took my four-year-old son with me to that plane. And I said, hey, buddy, here's the deal. Daddy's never flown a plane, but we're gonna figure this one out. Jump on, let's go. What would my son do? He would be the most excited little boy in the world. It would be the coolest thing ever. He does not care that daddy doesn't know how to fly an airplane. Why? Because he trusts his daddy. And he knows that his daddy would never do anything to put him in danger. And so it would be the best day of his life. See, because here's, here's the difference. The difference between the wise and understanding and a little child is a little child will humbly trust and put his faith in another while the wise and the understanding usually only trust and put their faith in themselves. And this is an important distinction because it will take a childlike faith to accept Jesus' invitation to the kingdom. The wise and understanding have a difficult time asking for help and admitting that they don't know how to do something. And in order to accept Jesus' invitation, you have to admit you can't do it on your own. And so let's read the invitation. We're, we're here. Starting in verse 28 to 30, here is Jesus' invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is Jesus' invitation to us. And it starts with a simple and profound command. Jesus says, come to me. Jesus is the one who brings us to that kingdom, that world we all want. But coming to Jesus is easier said than done. Which is why Jesus says that it is easier for a little child to do this than the wise and understanding. Which is why the people in these towns around Galilee who witnessed Jesus perform all these miracles right in front of their face. Have you ever said, man, if I was just there during that time and saw Jesus do all this stuff, it would be easier for me to believe. You ever said that before? It's why all of these people who witnessed this rejected Jesus. Because coming to Jesus means that you have to admit you were weary and heavy laden. 
You have to admit that you don't have the wisdom and understanding to make things right in the world. You have to admit that the way you have been doing things has not been working. And maybe you're not as wise as you thought. You have to admit that you're anxious and you do worry about life and you are insecure and you worry about pain and missing out. And if this is all there is, you have to admit that you're lost to come to Jesus. And Jesus is inviting you to come to him, take off that burden that you've been carrying. You know, the one where you like to pretend that you have it all figured out, to take it off and put it at Jesus' feet. For the Jews in this passage, this meant taking off the yoke of the law and the belief that one could earn their way into God's kingdom. And as followers of Jesus, we know that when Jesus invites us to come to him, he is inviting us to trust his work on the cross and what he did through his resurrection, that that accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished so we could be invited into the kingdom, worthy of the kingdom. It's not our effort, not our understanding, not our wisdom, not our morality. Our sin is way too great and we are way too weak to be worthy of the kingdom of God. We need Jesus to save us and bring us to God's kingdom. And it takes a childlike faith to trust the work of Jesus and not your own work. To come to Jesus, you have to see yourself as the blind who needs healing. Right, The lame that needs healing. You have to see yourself as the broken who needs help, who needs intervention. As one who's totally unable to do it on your own. As one who is totally depraved without Jesus. And no longer as the wise one who, is it all to, who has it all together. And for some people, that is just way too hard of a step to take to admit all those things. Think about it for a second. If one had to be wise and understanding in order to come to Jesus, to be worthy to come to Jesus, to be worthy of God's kingdom, then what would be different about God's kingdom than the world? It'd be the exact same. It would not be accessible to the weak. It would only be accessible to the strong. The strong would have a reason to boast in themselves and not praise God. We would all have this compulsion in us to anxiously work towards a better life, to try to figure out how to gain that wisdom and understanding. It would be a heavy yoke and a crushing burden. God's kingdom is not like the world. And the only way to get in is by admitting that you're lost in coming to Jesus. And if you're not sure, if you're here and you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, here's my question for you. Is this your impression of our faith? That we are people who don't have it all figured out and we need Jesus for that. Because finding forgiveness for your sins and being right with God is about coming to Jesus, trusting in him for what you cannot do. It is not about being strong. It's about admitting that we're weak and submitting ourselves to Jesus because he's strong. And once we come to Jesus, it says, okay, give him, give him our burden, right? Give him this yoke that we're carrying on our backs. But it doesn't just say that Jesus is gonna lift that and that's it. 
Okay, yes, Jesus is gonna lift our burdens, what's making us weary and heavy laden, but it says he puts another yoke on us, another burden on us. Read that again in Matthew 11, 29 and 30. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, a yoke is that wooden thing that goes over the shoulders of oxen as they pull a heavy load. But this yoke is different. The yoke that Jesus is talking about is different than the yoke we are carrying before we came to Jesus. This isn't a yoke where we must prove ourselves to be accepted in God's kingdom. This is a yoke we receive after we become citizens of God's kingdom, where Jesus shows us the way of his kingdom. And he says that this yoke and this burden is easy and it's, and it's light because we were designed to live that way. We are created by God to live according to the ways of the kingdom. God has put this kingdom in our hearts. It's what we actually long for. So, so we need to learn. We need to be his disciple. We need to be trained in the ways of the kingdom, right? The ways of the kingdom is backwards compared to the ways of the world. Everything that you've learned about living in the world, it's backwards in God's kingdom. And so we need to be discipled by Jesus in a different way of living. It's a different yoke on us that's easy and light because we're learning how to live differently in this world according to God's kingdom. And it says, Jesus, as he trains us, is gentle and lowly in heart. He's gracious. But this is why you have to come to Jesus like a little child and not as the wise and understanding. Because for us to give up control, it's difficult for us. For us to give up the way that we want to live our lives. For us to give up the moral stance and authority to be able to say, I know what's good and I know what's bad. I know what's true and I know what's false. Jesus is saying, you got to lay that down before me. you got to take my yoke. you got to learn from me. Be my disciple. Follow me. Don't posture yourself as the expert. Don't posture yourself as the one who knows how to do everything. You're not the wise and understanding like a little child. Just accept my grace, accept my yoke, learn from me. And so he invites us into this life of submitting ourselves to him and saying, okay, Jesus, you're the king of my life and I wanna live according to your ways, not according to my ways. And that's why Jesus says, if you wanna come to me, you have to be like a little child. And as a part of this sermon series, we're gonna, Look, we're gonna study what does Jesus teach us about the ways of the kingdom? How do we live that out? But let me just pause here for a second and just ask, is this a part of what you think it means to follow Jesus? It's very easy for us to do the come to me part, okay, come to Jesus, and then we expect Jesus to, to give us the rest that he promises for coming to him. I mentioned it in our passage a few times. I'll give you rest. But Jesus doesn't just invite us to come to him. He also tells us he's going to put this different kind of yoke on us. A yoke that is easy and light, but it, it's still a yoke. 
See, following Jesus is not just about receiving forgiveness, becoming a child of God, and then enjoying the benefits of that, right? Following Jesus is all of those things, and it's also submitting ourselves to Jesus as king. Jesus, you're king. You're Lord of my life. I, I submit to you. You have authority over me. I'm going to take this yoke upon me and to live according to your ways as a disciple and apprentice of Jesus. Now, here's the deal. Learning and living according to the ways of the kingdom, man, it's a major part of the benefits of coming to Jesus. Because following Jesus, that's where our joy is found. Living according to the ways of Jesus, that's what our souls need. Because we are designed for it. We are created for it. The ways of the kingdom bring us joy while the ways of the world bring us anxiety and brokenness. And I believe many people have confessed faith in Jesus, but do not take seriously the fact that following Jesus means becoming his disciple, learning from him, submitting ourselves to his authority and his ways and living it. And maybe they wonder why the rest and the joy that Jesus promises to them seems elusive because they wanna to come to Jesus, but not have their life be radically changed. I wanna to come to Jesus, I wanna rest in Jesus, but I don't wanna take up my cross and follow him. Because that would be hard. That would mean sacrifice. That would mean living differently than the world. They want to enjoy Jesus's kingdom. They just don't want Jesus to be their king. But Jesus does promise us, if we come to him, we take his yoke, his easy and light yoke upon ourselves. Two times in our passages, he promises rest. Uh, this word rest is used all over scripture to describe God's kingdom. It's rest for our souls. Uh, we read it in Psalm 95 when Terry read Psalm 95 for us. Uh, Hebrews 4 talks all about the rest of God entering into his rest, his kingdom. The place where we are forever in his presence and there's no more anxiety, no more worry or pain or death. It's true rest. And this is what Jesus is really offering us. It's an invitation to his kingdom. And one of the things that we're going to discover in this sermon series is that as we come to Jesus and submit to him as king, we can taste and experience this rest now as we wait for God to bring his kingdom in its fullness. We don't have to wait to experience the rest. We can taste and experience that rest now. And it is this rest that allows us as a church to be a non-anxious presence in an anxious world. To be people who do not look to the things of the world to be our rest. We do not get stressed out and afraid when times get difficult. People who have real substantive hope that God's kingdom is coming. And as we wait, we have been commissioned by God to make disciples, to tell the story to everyone, to answer the questions that humanity is longing to know. To be that flight attendant that doesn't have an existential crisis every time the plane hits Turbulence. 
And I believe that the church's ability to be a non-anxious presence in an anxious world, it is so critical to our mission and our credibility. Do we trust God? And so let me ask you this morning, are you anxious in life? Do you worry that you're missing out? Does your relationship with Jesus provide you with rest or not? Are you turbulent? I remember as a, a kid when, I, um, when my parents would put me to bed, like most kids, I often was afraid of being alone in the dark in my room. When you're a kid and E.T. comes out, it just messes you up. And so I remember finding comfort when I would see the light in the hallway peer under my door and I would hear the sounds of my parents in the house. Maybe they were cleaning the dishes or running the vacuum or watching TV or just talking, whatever it was. But those sounds would comfort me because my parents were near. It would ease the anxiety. All of us are learning what it means to trust Jesus like a little child and to walk in his ways. And we are at different places in our journey. And sometimes life seems dark and lonely. And what brings us comfort and solace and the rest in this life is listening for the signs and the sounds of the presence of Jesus who is near to us. Exposing our hearts to his word consistently. Not neglecting to come together as a church on Sundays so we can encourage one another and sit under his word. You have no idea what doing this every Sunday, how that helps your heart in an anxious world. Learning from Jesus the ways of the kingdom. And so if you're anxious, I just lean into this series. Like learn, be humble. Be humble through this. Be a disciple of Jesus. Take the posture of an apprentice. Jesus, I wanna learn your ways because I trust you. And I wanna follow you. And I wanna be a non-anxious presence in this stressed out world. And so I'm excited to enter this series with you. And my prayer is that as we all learn from Jesus and his ways, as we all submit to him as our king, as we learn what it means to wait for him to return, that we would experience more and more of that rest and that our joy would increase and our witness would be more compelling. Let me pray. Father, I confess before you and everyone here right now that Lord, past couple of weeks have been stressful for me. I have felt anxiety. I have felt insecure. I have at times neglected to listen and to look for the signs and the sounds of your presence near me. Lord, I know everyone in this room that there are different people at different places in their journey with you. Some people are on the mountaintop and some people are in the valley. 
Some people are in a place of great joy and some people are definitely in a place of great anxiety. And so Lord, I pray no matter where we are this morning that Lord, we would heed your invitation to the rest that you offer us. Lord, I pray that as we enter into this time of of saying, Jesus, as a church, we wanna come before you. We wanna be honest and humble about the ways that we have rejected you as our king. We wanna study what you have taught us. And we wanna be faithful to submit to you as our king. And to let you be the ones the one who has authority over our lives. And Lord, I pray that as we enter into that season together as a church, Lord, you would just provide rest to weary souls. And that Lord, you would just confirm in all of us this fact that Lord, when we submit to you as God and King, when we live according to your ways, when we trust in what you have done for us on the cross, when we hope in your return, Lord, that is where our joy and our rest is really found, not in this world. Lord, would you make Grace Hill Church a non-ancient's presence in this town? An army of people who know the story, who trust in Jesus, who know the answers to the questions, and through that love the people of this town who are looking for all the answers. Help us to be faithful in that, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name.